This episode of Spread the Floor is brought to you by Joshua Sodder, designer and illustrator. The design world can be intimidating to navigate, and finding a high-quality designer who won't kill your budget can be super difficult. Fortunately, our friend Joshua Sodder provides a fantastic solution. Joshua has done tons of work for us here at Spread the Floor, including the design of our logo, as well as designs for our social media. He always listens to our ideas and requests, keeps in touch with us through the process, and gives us a ton of great options to choose from and work with. He's a true professional and goes above and beyond to collaborate with us on whatever project we have in mind. You can check out Joshua's work for yourself by going to joshuasodder.com and browsing through his portfolio. He's done some incredible work for Kent State University's Apple Store, startups and agencies all across the country, and podcasts like Mad About Movies. Check out joshuasodder.com or his Instagram at joshuathedesigner and hit him up for all your design and illustration needs, from logos to merchandise, branding to websites, and tell him we sent you. Thanks, Joshua. Now on to the show. Welcome to Spread the Floor, the world's first and only NBA podcast, probably. I'm your host, Brian Gill, joined as always by the Vladi Divac to my Christian Leitner. It's my co-host, Tobin Hodges. Tobin, how's it going, buddy? Uh, I just got back from my smoke break, so if I'm Vladi, <laughs> just kidding, I don't do... You hate Vladi the player, correct? Uh, yes, because he was a kind of a maverick killer when he played for the Kings, so sure. um, I think that's just... Because, like, my... And obviously, I've liked the Mavericks my, my basically my entire life. But, you know, when we were at our first real peak in my life was whenever the Kings mm-hmm. were really good and they kept knocking us off, sure. you know, that mm-hmm. when we had Nick Van Axel and Nash and stuff. And so that's I, – I don't like – there's everybody on that Kings team I have a little bit of disdain for. And I think as I've gotten older, <laughs> I've realized like, oh, okay, they're actually really fun players except for you, uh, Doug Christie, and kind of you, Chris Weber. So, you know, but – yeah, I like I, I like Bibby, and I like I think I, I like Devox as the as like I appreciate what he did as a player, but I don't, I couldn't stand it when he was on Sacramento. Like I, I also like hated Turkoglu. That guy that, that guy drove me crazy. <laughs> that turned out to be you. You turned out to be ahead of the curve on that one yeah. since he's like a terrorist. Yeah. Now. Well, and then like Stojakovic was a killer for us, and then he ended up being on our championship team, so that that definitely helped. But yeah, yeah. I mean that man, that's a that was a stacked Kings team for sure. So. It's a fun. You, you know who you forgot is noted Mav killer Keon Clark. Oh, yeah, yeah. For Gosh. whatever reason, I think his entire resume was yeah. built on just killing the Mavs. It's just, it was so wild. So wild. He looked like freaking peak Robert Parrish every time we, you know, the Mavs matched up with the Kings. Those were fun games, man. I, I, I that was a fun time. Something to be a Mavs that gets fan. lost. Yeah, totally. It's, it's, it's something that gets lost in the, this era of like, where you're either. You're either competing for a title or you should tank, you know, which I, I understand the merits of and stuff. But one of the things that get lost in that is is those teams that don't really have a chance at competing for an actual title most of the time, but are good and are super fun. And the rivalries that can develop between them. like the Kings Mavs rivalry was awesome. And, and obviously both of those teams had some championship aspirations at various points during that that battle and stuff because we got them for the most i think we part, got them three years yeah. in a row right like we, we lost the first one won the second one and lost uh-huh. the third yep. one so we did yep mm-hmm. and that second that middle season that was the year the mavs went to the conference finals and lost to the you know depending yeah. on which mav fan you talk to potent could potentially could have beaten the spurs 
maybe should have beaten the Spurs, uh, but Dirk was injured, and then Steve Kerr hit 47 threes in the, the uh, third quarter <laughs> of, uh, of a game six. Hey, uh, also, low-key, you know, Sacramento King that was kind of forgotten on that team was Gerald Wallace. He was on that. He got drafted yeah. by them, so... Yeah. That was a fun yeah. squad. Bobby Jackson's on yep. that squad. Like the, you know, I, I really I enjoyed watching that Kings team play. Uh, and then they were, you know, so often the the foil for for Dallas. But those are those were fun series. That middle season, like you mentioned, the one the, the one that the Mavs won that series, I think that was a, a semifinals uh series. Nick Van Exel was just incredible in that series. Just fun basketball. Like I remember watching i think it was game two of that series and the Mavs scored 81 points in the first quarter and it was just like or excuse me the first half and it was like oh wow like that's that's pretty crazy it was anyway a lot of offense a lot of fun times uh and especially in that era there was the scoring was like just starting kind of to come up from where it had been in the the mid to late 90s and whatnot and so uh nelly ball and all this anyway Fun times, fun times. I always liked Vladi Divac, and I appreciated Divac, excuse me, then, and I, I appreciate anybody who can smoke a pack a day while also being a high-level competitive NBA basketball player. It's a good thing. Um, we got a lot to talk about tonight, Tobin, that does not relate to the 2003 Dallas Mavericks or Sacramento Kings. Uh, we're going to talk about the All-Star game a little bit, not a lot, a little bit. We're going to do some funerals for the teams that are out of it at the midseason point of, of this year. And we're going to give you our picks for just a fun little list segment uh, talking about our favorite one-time and no-time NBA All-Stars in history of the league. But first, Tobin, we have one buyout and a signing that we need to talk about for sure. And then maybe we touch on the other one that I I think potentially is. We're about to be in buyout season, right? Like this is about to be a big big thing that's coming down the pipe. Obviously, the trade deadline is uh, March 25th which is about two weeks from now as we were recording it. Uh, and the buyout thing is going to be taking place, I think, both before and after that. It just seems like a year where there's going to be a lot of buyout guys. So we'll, we will, uh, we'll see how that. The first one of those, at least as far as a big name goes, is Blake Griffin. This has been speculated about for a long time before it actually happened. I think the, the deal was just like how much is he willing to give up because there is no chance that the Pistons can make a trade. There's literally there was not a trade for Blake Griffin. We talk all the time about untradeable contracts and how that doesn't really exist because you know anybody can be traded if you just attach the right assets to get them moved out of town Blake Griffin's contract was an untradeable contract it was not going to happen there was because the value of of what he brings to the table and we'll talk about his stats here in just a second but also it just was so much money that like matching that contract getting to 36 and a half million dollars is almost impossible for for every team in the league to to pull off so especially given what you're going to get back from him. There's only like two contracts in the whole league that I think that you could have possibly convinced to trade for him. And they got traded for each other before the, in the beginning of the season. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, look, this, this is cyclical. We will, I mean, 36 and a half, I don't know, but we will have some contracts like this in a couple of years. We just have reached the end of the contracts for the last ridiculous summer. Like the the summer of 2016, with uh, I believe that was the summer anyway, with like Chandler Parsons and uh, um, uh, Wesley Matthews and Otto Porter, who's another guy who potentially is going to get bought out here. I, I maybe it, I think it was 20. I think they were all 2016. Regardless, 
we kind of it's not that the teams have gotten smarter it's just that we haven't had a real boost on the cap again like that and lots of teams that had the opportunity to make bad contracts in two years we'll be back in this place some of these contracts will be easier some trades will be easier to to, to happen in a couple years because there will be more teams that are saying that have like mm, and i got this guy on the books you got that guy on the books let's see what we can make happen right now we're just at a place where there's not a lot of those those dudes the guys that are getting paid that much money deserve their money and they don't want you know the team their teams don't want to trade them um blake griffin now though he 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 gets the buyout he i think what i heard was what 13 million he gave up 13 million off of uh next season's contract to get out of his deal and he promptly signed with the brooklyn nets i'm gonna tell you what blake griffin is doing stats wise tobin and then i'll turn it over to you and see what we think what we think the Nets are getting in him and whether or not we think it can, you know, actually make a difference. Uh, on the season, gosh, man, this is depressing. It's depressing to look at his stat line because two seasons ago, his first, like, full year in Detroit, when I thought he was kind of awesome, like, I really dug that first year of Blake Griffin in Detroit. He was fun to watch, but 24 points, seven rebounds, five assists. Uh, he shot 36% from three that year. He was pretty freaking great for that for that Pistons team, and then of course was injured in the playoffs and whatnot. This year, man, twenty games, twelve points, five boards, four assists. He's shooting thirty one and a half percent from three on six threes a game, and he hasn't dunked since twenty nineteen. And he is now a member of the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, what do you think? What do you think about the signing for the Nets and the move for Griffin? And then I don't know. What do you, what, what do you think this makes an impact? Do you think this is already a stack team? Does this add to the stack, or is it just eh, this is a guy? I mean, let me let me say first, like his deal that he signed, you had to do that deal. Like that wasn't a bad that wasn't a bad signing. I don't think like. Like no. and so like you know, Clippers were smart to get out of it. Though. Also, I mean, true, that's just yes. that's just the business. And I mean, I. I think it's fine. Like, I mean, I, especially for the minimum deal. If you're in Brooklyn, why don't you do that? I mean, it's just a minimum deal. Mm-hmm. Um, at the very, very least, he is a good locker room presence. He's played with DeAndre Jordan, so like that can be um, helpful. If like maybe they can kind of rekindle some of that pick and roll stuff that they've done. You know, some of that offensive stuff they've done before. Um, and he might give you to. He might let you take Jeff Green off the court every every once in a while, but. They still need a center that's like it's. I mean, I don't know. Maybe our you know buddy Ariel can can tell us, but it seems like they don't really trust Claxton as the backup center fully. I guess, but I also mm. don't watch a ton of Nets basketball, obviously. But um, I I don't know where he fits other than maybe he's just being a locker room presence and somebody to take up minutes whenever they need you know KD or DeAndre or um, I don't know maybe Jeff Green to get some time off the court to get ready for the playoffs. That, that's the only thing I can think of because sure. it doesn't make sense from a lot roster standpoint. But again, at this point who, who cares? Like if he's a minimum contract and a, and sure. even if he's somewhat of what he used to be in Detroit, you know, then that's great. And like, cause at the beginning of the year, I know some of the talk was, Oh, he's turning himself into a jump shooter. Well, he's not doing a very good job of that because it does not it does not look like he's second worst shooter in yeah. the league by volume so um, it, it, that's that's not going to happen so I mean if anything he can maybe get in there and run some pick and roll stuff with Harden or Kyrie and maybe get some easy dump buckets or something like that but like I mean 
if he's able to do some of that, then I think that at the very least he spreads out your defense a little bit. So, or sorry, the other team's defense. Yeah, no, I got you. Um, I, yeah, I'm with you. Like, I really like Blake Griffin. I hate, you know, I, I've, I've kind of ridden the tidal wave with him a little bit because I, I really liked him coming out. I dug him those first year or two in, in, uh, in LA. And then I, I think, uh, I think Chris Paul made him unsufferable because Chris Paul is insufferable and he just, he wears off on people the wrong way. And I think the Hollywood thing kind of, kind of got to him as well. Well, just a little bit. Um, I think that made an impact. And then to have him in Detroit and he kind of regained it that, that first full year in Detroit, he was awesome, man. And I, I came around to like, man, I really, I dig Blake Griffin again. You know, he's, he's had a sense of humor. He's a, he's just, he just seems like a good dude. Um, and he's a lot of fun to watch play basketball. I mean, he's been terrible. He's just been, he has no athleticism left and it stinks. It's, it's why you have to be careful about contracts that you hand out to guys whose entire game is based on athleticism. Now, that's that's a little bit unfair to him because it's not just that he's had injuries that have sapped his athleticism. He's had injuries that have sapped his ability to move, let alone to jump and and do cool stuff with the ball. By the way, Luca's looking a little tanned tonight. I think he got some sun uh, over the All-Star break. Um, it's good for him. He needs it. He's, he's a, little, a, little, a little pasty. Um Anyway, I, I I think that it's not totally fair to him to to kind of put him in that. Or it's, it it is fair, but it it belies a little bit more of the issue of just like again, it's not just that he lost athleticism; it's like he can't move. So, um, I love what he can. I I think I enjoy the idea of him as like a secondary playmaker and a guy that you can run to the top of the key and kind of run some some dribble handoff action around him and stuff. I think he can be a very good passer. And I think his shooting will come up, right? Like we he's not going to be a 31% shooter for for the season now that he's surrounded by uh three of the best offensive players. And he in, is a great facilitator I mean, too. So like that's, you know, yeah. so to your point, if you put him at the top of the key and have, you know, your guards moving off ball, he'll find those guards. So like that that's not you know, no athleticism is going to change that. So, I mean, like, it, it, I also think they're not done. I think that they're probably in on the Drummond buyout and, you know, as well. Yeah. And so, like, that could very possibly be something that you would put with him. But, it, again, like, it's it's a very low risk. Like, why wouldn't you do that? And if he ends up being if he ends yeah. up being hurt yeah. the rest of the year, then, okay, then you're out, you know, how, like $1.2 million that, on a thing that doesn't even hit your caps. Yeah, I think it's a smart signing for them. I, I honestly, I, I think whoever signed him, it would have been a, wouldn't have been a smart signing. It's just the if you're depending on him, you're in trouble. I don't, I don't think anybody should. I don't think anybody should be should be looking at their depth chart and being like, "Cool, we're gonna get, um, we're gonna get quality out of out of Blake Griffin for for however many minutes a game." The the most shocking thing to me about his stat line is that he was playing. I mean, I know he hasn't played in a couple weeks or whatever, but when he was playing, he played 31 minutes a game. Like, what are we doing? Like, that's I so you you wonder if if you take his minutes down to like 15 minutes a game and you you do use him as a an off-bench facilitator and whatnot. Not that that's really anything that the Nets needed, but but yeah, you can kind of see how like it it could help. And I I don't think it's a I don't think it's totally crazy to suggest that if he's healthy enough to just be like 
like I mean healthy in terms of like is he physically capable of of movement and stuff, which he he hasn't always been in Detroit. If he just is that, is he the worst guy to guard Joel Embiid? I don't. I mean, I don't know. Especially having seen Griffin be sort of an agitator at some points. Like I, I kind of don't hate that as for ten minutes a game or or whatever against against Embiid in in a playoff series of just like. Yeah, he's given up. I don't even know how many inches to to Embiid, and he's not really a true center, but he's big and he's thick and he's strong and he's he can kind of be a jerk. And he's and six more fouls too. Under, yeah, totally. It may get under Embiid's foul, but I do think there's. I think it's like a fifty fifty chance of, hey, Blake Griffin's playing some minutes for this team. That's cool. And by May, he is not playing. He, you know, he's he's uh, DMP uh, coach's decision every night because Jeff Green's better. You know, and Nick Claxton, by the way, has been really good for the last uh, you know five games or whatever before the All Star break and stuff. So, yeah, I, I don't. I mean, I I think I think it's it's definitely worth doing. But I I, I also, you know, it, it's it's kind of similar to uh, to Demarcus Cousins signing with the Warriors and everybody being like, oh, they got five All Stars, and you're like, well, I mean, not really. Like that's not it's not quite the truth uh, of of things, and so. Yeah. Also, yeah. guys, Jeff Teague was an all star, so just pump the brakes a little bit. So, yeah, just just saying. Yeah, it does put us in a in a weird position because I think we both want good things for Blake Griffin to close out his career, yeah. whether this is the end or if it's you know two or three years down the line or whatever. I do not want these, uh, but I don't want the Nets to win. Yeah, so it's a you know it's kind of a tough spot. I I would have liked him maybe to go somewhere else, but you can't. Yeah, you can't so blame Blake, him at all for next year, either come to the Mavs and help us get a title, or go to the Bucks <laughs> and help Giannis get a title. So yeah. that's that's what I want. Yeah, that'd, so. that'd be that'd be uh, preferable. I actually I really say. was hoping he'd go to the Bucks just because of that for that reason right there. But I mean, I don't think he puts the Bucks over the top either. So like, yeah, for sure. I like I said, I don't think you if you're signing Blake Griffin, I don't think you should at all factor him into the calculus of your team beyond potentially what he brings in the locker room, which, which, which you mentioned. I, I think there's some definitely some value in that. I think you should look at anything he gives you as a bonus. And if it turns out that that he is sort of rejuvenated a la Nick Batum by not being in a, in a terrible basketball situation and having guys around him that can create and stuff, that would be, you know, that'd be cool. I just don't think that he physically is capable of having a, like Nick Batum clearly was just tanking it for several years, you know? And, uh, and I don't think that that's really the case with Blake Griffin. I think that he just is, his body is done. He has the body of a 70 year old man and there's not much you can do about that. Um, I mentioned Otto Porter who we think potentially could get bought out. I found that surprising. I, I mean, he's not, he's, he's kind of out of favor with, with Billy Donovan and they're trying to, to rotate in some of their younger guys, which I greatly appreciate. I think that's a smart play for them. I'm surprised that they're not able to get something for him. Now I know that it's, it's this, it's a, it's a mini version of the, uh, of the Blake Griffin thing in that his contract is very high compared to potentially what you're getting with him. But, I mean, because he's getting paid, I think twenty eight, yeah, twenty eight and a half million dollars. That's that's tough to uh, to find the contracts for. But he also is, I mean, he's he's only twenty seven. It's not the same as Blake Griffin, who's thirty one and in the body of a of a ninety year old man. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he hasn't played a ton. Uh, he's had some injuries. He always has some injuries, so that's that is also part of the deal. But um, yeah, but Otto Porter, you know, eleven points a game and, and six six rebounds and stuff, and a, a solid defender. And so I, I don't know. I'm very interested to in see if that turns out to be an actual buyout and stuff. Lamarcus Aldridge, 
is the other name that came out tonight uh, as we were getting ready to come on the air here. Um, I don't see Lamarcus Aldridge as a trade candidate, like in the slightest. I I don't know. Kevin Pelton had an article out tonight that I I, I just just had a chance to click, but didn't really get to look through that kind of looked at the potential trade and buyout market for him. And I don't, I just don't, I don't see anybody trading for, he looks washed to heck into me. Like, I mean, I look at his stat line and you're like, okay, that's not terrible at, you know, 13 and a half points and four rebounds and stuff. But he looks like mummified Dirk Nowitzki the last year of, of his career on, on defense. And in terms of movement, it's been, Is it's that been bad? really rough. Is that bad? Like, <laughs> it's not good. It's not good, Tobin. Um, I mean, I was talking to our buddy Brad in the in the Discord. Was like, I mean, he could help. Like, Brad's a Celtics fan. I'm like, I'm sure that there's ways that you could utilize Ella Marcus Aldridge for for 14 minutes a game in the third quarter and and in the second and third quarter, you know, and and get a few buckets from him. But he's also only shooting 46 percent from the field this year. That's a career low by a relatively fair stretch. Eh, that's not true. He had a he had another year where he was he had a year in Portland where he shot f- just under 46%, but he also was taking 20 shots a game that year, so that's probably part of it. But uh anyway, his shooting percentage, he he just looks like borderline immobile to me at this point. So I see him exclusively as a buyout candidate. I cannot imagine somebody finding contracts to match up for 24 million dollars a year of him um and then bring him in as some kind of like you know, this is the piece that we've been looking for. I, I just, I see him as, as a buyout candidate the same way that I see Blake Griffin personally. Like I, I'd be really interested to see where he goes. Like, I mean, cause I don't think he's in the market to go to like to LA or something. So I think he could kind of go to one of those outliers, like maybe even, you know, Milwaukee or something, but like, hopefully he'll go somewhere where he can get a title, but I have a feeling he'll probably go somewhere where he thinks he can get playing time and that probably won't go very well for him. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, LaMarcus Aldridge is like that kind of NBA star, quote unquote, that's like, you know, you look at it, he does great things stats wise. He's a very good for, for many, many years. He's a very good, consistent player, but it's not like he gets a lot of buzz or pub or whatever. I don't know if the, I don't know if the general vibe around the league on him is the way that we see him or the things that we have heard on him, you know, just being here. And having him be, you know, he, he went to college here even and stuff. It's, you know, a little bit of diva to, to LaMarcus Aldridge. And, and that's fine when you're the best player on a, on a team. It's less fine when you're the ninth player on a team, you know. And, I, I, you know, I don't know that that's totally gone away at this point. So maybe that's a factor. And maybe it's not at all. Maybe, maybe even LaMarcus Aldridge himself is like, I'm not the guy anymore. So like, you know, you can't get away with that kind of stuff. And not to say that he was locker room cancer or toxic or anything like that. There just was always little hints of, you know, well, he went to UT, so you kind of expect it. So I'm just, you know, (laughs) sorry, sorry, sorry. That was, I think when he left Portland was the fastest. um, Now that this guy's gone, we can actually say what we think about him in the press sort of thing that I've ever seen. Like the, the chamber was so loaded for, LaMarcus Aldridge, that was like within an hour of him signing in San Antonio, the Portland papers were putting out the, actually, this guy sucks kind of columns and stuff that you you typically see when it, when somebody like that leaves, you know, it happens, but it usually, you know, at least it's the next day, a couple of days down the line, right? No, it was like, we've had this written for months. It's been ready to go. So I, I don't know. It's just, 
it's a funny deal. Uh, we'll see where he lands. Line, I, I just, I just can't see him as a as a trade candidate at all. I think it's too much money and uh, to to match up with, and then what he's giving you is just, I don't know, not not a fan. But I, I do appreciate this the Spurs kind of moving on from because we've said for two years now that like think you can win games with 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 Demar Derozan as your your player, and you at least until this year you you can win games with Lamarcus Aldridge in that role too. You can't win them with both. It just doesn't it doesn't work the way that they play basketball. So I think that's I think that's the right call. We'll we'll see what happens. Maybe maybe some team is talking themselves into it right now. But I I kind of thought it through. I was like I just don't I don't see any team that he benefits enough to send out a couple of guys from your your rotation. Unless you've got somebody on your bench who's making, you know, an equitable amount of money that isn't playing for you, then I, I don't know. I don't really see I don't really see how it works. Um all right, let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about the All-Star Day. I almost said All-Star Weekend. It wasn't really All-Star Weekend. Um number one, most important thing, got through it all without uh without any incident. The Embiid Simmons thing obviously was a is a deal. They both had to quarantine and miss the game and whatnot, but it, that had at least as far as I can tell, it had nothing to do with the All Star game itself, and just was bad luck with their barber. So that would have happened whether they were coming to Atlanta to play in an All Star game or not. So um, at least as far as we know, nobody nobody popped for for COVID and uh, nobody got injured. All these sorts of things. So it's a success on that front. The game was kind of a snooze, though. Not not a great, uh, not a great game because Kevin Durant sucks at drafting. <laughs> like it's just, why is LeBron such a great All Star GM and such a meh GM in the regular season? I don't I don't understand. But man, he he came for blood with the drafting, and KD came to play with his buddies, and then he couldn't even be there. So, Did you see the uh, video of Giannis <laughs> learning about his team after the game? Yes. Yeah. Like. <laughs> He knew. Can I just say, Giannis is a treasure. I love, yes. I love that guy. He, like he's he just knew. such a he cool knew. dude. Like he, yeah. he knew in the locker room that yes. night. He's like, oh, it's over. Like you know, like yeah, you let us have me done. and yeah. Luca and you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just and Steph and Lillard and CP and I mean, come on, like this is just so slaughter. I gotta like, be honest, gosh. and I gotta admit to our listening fandom that <laughs> I watched the 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 basically the skills competition thing uh-huh. and then i turned it off and fell asleep <laughs> and then i did not watch yeah. any more of it now i was busy that night and i i had the intention of going back to it and watching like at least the three-point contest and the dunk contest and i never went back to it and i don't feel like i've missed anything i three-point at- shootout was awesome I, I i'll tell you you missed you missed that that was a that's become it's, it's the most the fun thing to do, to like, yeah. for sure. Yeah. I, I I did check the box score because I wanted to see how Luca did, and that didn't look, that didn't look great either. So he, he wasn't. He didn't care. But that's, he you know, just like the, the skills competition, he is clearly there to have fun and, and yeah. smile while he's playing the whole time. So, good. Mm-hmm. yeah, I just – I don't – I've already in my past have not been a huge All-Star game person because sure. I think they're boring games and – yeah. I would much last year was great with the Elam ending yes. and the way it went down. And that really got us all juiced for it, True. I think. But then, you know, that depends on the game being close. I have always been no chance. of the mindset of, I would rather than in lieu of doing games, I would rather than do a weekend of like stupid, like three point contest. And, you know, uh, let's see who can, you know, pass the ball through all the, like, you know, like how the NFL used to have the yeah. QB competitions in the summer. 
like like where they throw the chalk footballs across the field and stuff like that. That's yeah. what I want for every single sports all-star game. I want that sure. instead. Because no one wants to play – like watch you play a game where you all just goof off and don't play defense for yeah. four hours. I mean, like, yeah, the thing is you, you always – if you're the NBA, you're always hoping you get a game like last year or like – 2002 I think was the year when when it was like Iverson and Marbury and carrying that team and stuff that that was a great that was because they got competitive right like you're hoping you get that but there's no way to guarantee that and more often than not it just it doesn't happen it doesn't happen like that so um the game itself was 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 pretty snoozy but that was a like I said that was a guarantee just based on the if it wasn't a guarantee based on the draft, it was certainly a guarantee by the time that the draft happened and also Embiid was out, you know. I mean, it's just this this is over. This is a this is a done deal. Uh skills contest was kind of weak. I I Rosillo had a great idea on it was either his pot or Simmons, I don't know, but he said that he wanted the he was joking, but I think this is a great idea that that instead of throwing through a uh, like a ring, like making the pass through the ring, they <laughs> They ought to have to make a pass that Kwame Brown can catch. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, wow, how incredible would it be if one side was Kwame Brown and the other side was Eric Dampier and they had to catch the ball and finish the the play? Like, oh, my gosh. Eric Dampier's hands, I I think the the only way to, to get the ball to him was to to delicately place it in his hands and duct tape the ball in there so that so that he couldn't drop it but um I thought that would be great. Yeah, the skills the skills competition is fun for for a minute until you realize that the big guys are trying and the guards usually aren't. Um except for Chris Paul who was really trying but he couldn't make a shot, which was was pretty comical for this guy. Uh but yeah, the 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 three-point shootout was a blast and and that was the one I think the thing that's great about that is that it a it feels like basketball and b it can be competitive without um, it being potentially dangerous to the players. You know, um, you could tell Steph wanted to win that and Conley wanted to win that, and it was but they I mean they were having a good time with it. Steph was with the, they kept referencing this on the on the broadcast to the point that I was getting annoyed by it, but it was accurate. Steph had some real Larry Bird walk into the locker room and saying who's coming in second energy to him, and it ruled. It was so much fun to see him out there having a blast, and also like there is literally no chance that I'm not winning this thing. Like it was, it was pretty, it was pretty impressive, and it, it came down to the last shot. He hit the last shot to to win the thing. But yeah, man, it was it, that that part was fun. Did you go back and watch any of the dunks from the dunk contest? I sure didn't. I'm telling you, I, 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 I saw some of y'all. You're the com- worst NBA podcaster I know. <laughs> I saw some of y'all complaining about it and I was like, yeah, that's, I was already like really out on it because of the yeah. people they chose. And then I saw some of the y'all's like commentaries. I was like, okay, y'all just made the decision for me. I'm not even going to try. Cause like, it's just, you know, I, I just don't, I don't care. I don't care about, I will say the one thing yeah. about it that I actually thought would be good was that there was a time limit on it so that they can't. Mm-hmm. drag it out so i don't know how that felt watching the game but like again i was busy and then i was tired and i was like i'm not gonna stay up and watch this crap like i just don't have any desire to so yeah um cassius stanley had the first dunk and it was really good i'm not gonna do this whole thing where i recap the dunk contest but he got a bad he, he didn't get a great um 
score. And that's okay. And let me only let me interrupt you. And that is another reason why that the dunk contest bothers me because it's not based off of like Steph Curry winning it because he made the, all the shots. Sure. Like like last year, Dwayne Wade being the reason why that dunk contest sucked really ticked yeah. me off. Like and I and like to the point where like it made me legitimately angry and like I don't want to watch this anymore. <laughs> like, you know? So okay, so listen, so here's what they did in the final round. So so it was only three competitors, so it's two dunks each. Um and it they I don't it was like you can only miss twice, you know, before or maybe maybe it was you could miss they've had, it doesn't they matter. They had that like, last you, year too. So Yeah, you couldn't do the Chris Anderson thing of, of trying fifty seven dunks and, and, and all that sort of stuff. So that helps. That's always good. But like it clearly got in Cassius Stanley's head when they, they did not give him a great score and then his second dunk was just just horrific. But um Obi Tobin had a had a cool one. Simons had a cool one in, in the first round. It, you know, it was fine. It was fine up to that point. What they did in the set in the final round is what I liked is they didn't do a score. They did instead, they watched both. So each 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 guy in the final round, Simons and Toppin, they both did one dunk each. That's it. Just one dunk in the final the final round. And they they did both dunks and then the judges voted on who they thought had the best dunk. And that ended up being Simon's. It's the worst. I, I don't understand what any of them were doing. Worst final dunk I've ever seen in my life. It was terrible. It was terrible. All he did was blow a kiss at the rim with the weakest dunk you've ever seen in your life. It was like it was like when you're in ninth grade and somebody on your team f- figures out that he can dunk, you know, and it's 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 super weak and like, oh, cool. You got that over the rim. That's what it was like. It was terrible. It's a terrible dunk. I don't understand who he won. But I really liked the concept of. We see the dunks, then we pick who won. And I think they should just carry that over to the whole thing. Like, if, like, like let's assume things are normal next year for the for the All Star Weekend. We have the dunk contest. We got all four of these guys. Just have all four of them do their first dunks, right? And then each of the judges ranks them from one to four, and you know you get points based on uh, however you know whether you're ranked number one, two, three, or four. And then do it again for the second dunk. Have them. Because that way you don't get into this whole thing like, well, if that's a 50, then this one has to be a 52. Or, man, he he got screwed on that because he only got a 44, but it was a great dunk. It's just it happened to be that it was the first dunk of the night, and they don't know what it's going to look like. for the, You know what I mean? Like, just it's to me, it's just super easy to, to fix this. So I was glad they did it for the final round. I just think you could extrapolate that out really easily to, uh, to the, the dunk contest itself as a whole and avoid this, like, well, he got a bad score because he just had the misfortune of being the first dunker or yeah. or whatever. Else. I do it's, think that the NBA should look into doing this stuff all on the same night in the future. I think the idea of having it – like maybe not – I don't know. Like the, I mean, before might have been a little rushed, but like the, the stuff at halftime is kind of kind of cool. I kind of like that idea, especially with the dunk contest because yeah, it kind of – it'll kind of give it a, a forced – you know, it forces it to be sure. a, a time – a certain time, so – yeah, and that's a good thing. I wish that it had been earlier because I would have liked Coop to watch it, and he couldn't. You know, I couldn't have him stay up that late. Um, so I would have like we watched the the shootout together, and he was like sort of into it. But I think he would have enjoyed the dunk contest. I guess that's true because it's a Sunday and not a Saturday like it usually is. Yeah. So yeah, exactly, exactly. So, but I mean, that's that's the problem for parents of seven year olds that. You know, we don't necessarily. If he was ten, I maybe I let him stay up later or whatever. But it doesn't matter. Regardless, um, 
it's successful because nothing, no one got hurt, nothing happened. I and I did like some of the format stuff, and so hopefully they can build from that uh, moving forward. Because I'm like you, I do not care about the All Star content, the, the All Star game, and the weekend and whatnot. All that stuff is is somewhere between pretty superfluous and very superfluous. Like it just doesn't really really matter to me. Um, when the dunk contest is good, I get really into it, but that happens like once every eight years at this point. So, uh, whatever, but I, but I do think there are some things that they can take from it and, and hopefully, uh, and also maybe stop letting LeBron draft because apparently he just slaughtered. <laughs> he's literally just, won every just, single year. They've done this. <laughs> yeah. It's like four and oh or something, whatever, six and whatever it is. doesn't matter. He's, he's killing that. And, uh, these guys got to get better at KD. Don't nobody give KD a GM job when he retires. Okay. Um, so anyway, it was the all-star game, like we said, and that got us thinking about, uh, Mike Conley. Of course, Mike Conley was a late add to the team in place of Devin Booker, who was a late add to the team in place of Anthony Davis. Uh, and Mike Conley got his first all-star appearance, uh, for after much, discussion and consternation over the last few years of how good he is and he's the best player of all time who has never made an all-star game and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it got us thinking about our favorite one-time and no-time all-stars in the history of the NBA. So we're going to do a quick little uh, little list here. Tobin, you want to start with first-timers or, excuse me, one-time all-stars or you want to do uh, guys who, who never made an all-star Let's game? Let's do... Let's do the guys that never made it because that one's less okay. subjective based on the rules okay. that we've set out for ourselves. Sure. Yeah. So to make this happen, we we only considered players who are retired or who, um, you know, we view as not having a huge chance to make an all-star game or another all-star game at some point in their career. So, you know, somebody like uh, Zion Williamson does not apply. For this, he is a one-time All-Star, but it's because he's only been in the league for 50 games. So uh, we expect he'll probably be an All-Star again at some point down the line. Uh, so that's what we did. We're, we're looking at, at at retired players or active guys who are, are unlikely to make the All-Star game again. So um, Zach Cram from The Ringer had a really interesting article on this right before Conley got actually named to the team, I think, uh, where what he did is he took, uh, he took win shares which is a basketball reference stat and wins above replacement, which is a 538 stat and combine them together to make a career value stat. And then he looked back at uh, players through the course of, of NBA history and, and did some, some calculations and some graphs and whatnot on the best kind of gave a numerical value to all of these guys who never made an all-star game. And he, he put this article out. I sent it to you today. I know you were super busy. Um, I'll give you just in case you didn't get to see it. And for the listener as well, the top five guys in career value who never made an all-star game. Number one, you know what? I'm going to go from, from five to five to one. Number five was Rod Strickland. Number four was Sam Perkins. Number three was Derek Harper, who spoiler alert will come up shortly. Uh, Number two is Andre Miller. I was a little surprised by that. I think part of it is he played for 43 years, but, uh, but he, you know, he also, he also managed good teams for a long time as well. And number one was Jason Terry, our, our very own Jason Terry. Um, and when he went to peak value, and meaning the season that they had their best year, that they were not an all-star, et cetera, basically, uh, that included, again, Andre Miller and Jason Terry 
added Cedric Maxwell and Mike Conley to that list. And then Derek Harper was number one by a, a relatively fair stretch. Uh, peak value. I think that was the 95. That season, shocked 96. me. I was like, cause, Same. cause I, I think that with Harper, I was like, well, that's me being a Homer. But then I uh, saw that and I was like, Oh dang. Yeah. I mean, look, Harper is one of these guys who, I mean, uh, Derek Harper is my favorite player of all time before Dirk Nowitzki stole my heart. Um, I, I grew up with, obviously with the Mavs. And by the way, this list for me is very Mavs centric. I'm just, I'm going to call it like it is. Um, Derek Harper is one of the more underrated players and one of the, like those forgotten players uh, in NBA history who was really, really, really good and, and didn't get the acclaim that he had at the time that he deserved at the time, probably, and certainly doesn't get the acclaim historically um, as part of that. But like Derek Harper was awesome and it's, he was a great defender, great manager of the game, had some seasons where he scored a lot of points that wasn't really his game, but man, and the dude had balls. Like he got buckets at, at, clutch moments and stuff um yeah i was so i was i felt vindicated maybe less surprised than vindicated to see him at the top of that list for uh the peak value because i i believed it in the moment and and really now 25 years on it's like man that dude is never gonna get his what he deserves uh in terms of of his respect uh with you know in basketball history because that dude was really really good and and deserved more what we see when we look at these all-star things is like is again we should just eliminate positions from all this stuff because there's so many so many bum centers that have an all-star game or two on their resume because well we gotta have at least two centers on on both you know in both conferences it's just and then it's it's you look at this list and guess what? It, it slants toward, um, it slants toward guards because guards are usually, it's a pretty deep position in the, in the history of, of the league. Um, so guards are usually the ones that get left out. So anyway, I like that article from Zach Cram. That was very cool. It, it made me feel very vindicated in my own opinions. Tobin, uh, give him, give me, uh, do you want to do your whole list or you want to go just, give, just give me, yeah, give me your whole list. You ha- if you have any honorable mentions, I wrote down a couple for each as well, but give me, give me your list. The one honorable mention I wrote on this one, and so I made my list for the non-All-Stars before I read that article, and I kind of felt some vindication as well. Um, but my non-All-Stars that I saw on there, um, I had Cedric Ma- Maxwell as an honorable mention, mainly because I've never seen him play. Um, sure. And the dude was on a team full of hall of famers and won a won a finals MVP. And that's just probably a guy that probably at some point in his career should have been an all-star, you know, just because of what the team he was on alone. Um, so my top five at five, I had Marcus Camby because I think Marcus Camby okay. did some things, especially defensively that a lot of people couldn't do. Um, I almost, almost put Tyson Chandler there instead but mm-hmm. I didn't. I put Marcus. Tyson instead. made one though. Did he? Oh, I thought he. I thought he made zero. Okay, but maybe it was whenever I was trying to combine the list. I don't know. Um, but he's also technically still active, isn't he? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, yeah. But I think he. I think the rules apply to him for what we yeah. <laughs> we put on. He's not going to be an all star. My four number four. I had to check and make sure this guy wasn't still active because I feel like he's been active forever. Uh, I had Richard Jefferson at four. Um, okay. Because I, I think the Nets days, Richard Jefferson is what I was thinking in my head, and I went back and looked mm-hmm. at his stats, and he was a pretty pretty uh, high scorer for the Nets, and you know, good contributor for a couple of Finals teams, stuff like that. So I had Richard Jefferson as my number four. 
Uh, number three, I had uh, Rod Strickland, who I think is probably on everybody's list for this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then number two and one uh, are definitely close to my heart, which I'm probably sure your two and one as well are Derek Harper and Jason Terry in whatever order you decide to put them in. So, okay. Sure. Yeah, we have some similarities. Uh, my honorable mention was Rod Strickland. More, so, he definitely deserved one at some point. Uh, I, I have him in the honorable mention more so because I was a, a I was a Harper guy. So I want you know in the battle of Strickland versus Harper, I want Harper to be an all star, not Strickland. But have uh, strong feelings for for Rod Strickland uh, and what he did through the, it's it, he it's he jumped around so much he was on so many different teams mm-hmm. and stuff like i think he was a third team all nba player when he was in washington and stuff it's 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 kind of wild yeah how are you not an all-star uh, if you're never. a third team all nba like just, yeah especially i mean you know i mean i a lot of his days were spent in in portland and san antonio it's hard but like when he was in washington he probably should have been an all-star i need to go back and look at that that year and the team and see like who, he, who he should replace, but uh, he should, he deserved it. Number five is a guy who wasn't on your list. I have a very specific one with this. It's Jim Jackson in 1995, uh, when Mitch Richmond made the all-star team and absolutely 100% did not deserve it. And Jimmy Jackson was averaging like 26 points a game on a Mavs team that was actually pretty good that year, like had a chance to contend. And then he got injured and his career was never the same after that. And I will never forgive Mitch Richmond for, for taking that <laughs> spot from Jim Jackson. Mitch Richmond was on a garbage Kings team and was putting up worse stats at the same position as Jim Jackson, and Jimmy didn't make the, the All-Star game. So that's garbage, and so I want, I want to have that vindicated. Number four, another guy who wasn't on your list, uh, who we never got to see the best of, unfortunately, because of the way his career played out. Uh but he was so much fun to watch. And you know, I love a big man who can pass the ball. So number four for me was Arvidas Sabonis. Uh, number three is, you mentioned Jason Terry. I probably would have had him at number two, but he recently said that Kevin Garnett was more <laughs> fun to play with than Dirk, and so I knocked him down a peg. Uh. That's ridiculous, and he'd, he should be, somebody should fight him for that. Uh, number two, not on your list. Maybe a little surprise, but not on your list. It's Muggsy Bogues. Oh. Five foot three. Come on, man. Yeah, you're right. That should be on my list probably. Yeah. So I recently wrote uh, an essay on Muggsy Bogues that only you and like three other people have read because I will never publish this book that I'm writing because I'll never finish it. But in the the closing section of my my essay that I wrote about Muggsy, I went through his his career – and took away an all-star game from somebody else to get him an all-star appearance. So I took away B.J. Armstrong's all-star appearance in 1994 um, because B.J. Armstrong did not deserve that and gave it to Muggsy Bogues instead. So Muggsy Bogues, number two. Number one is Derek Harper, obviously. Derek Harper's awesome, and it will no one will ever remember him in 20 years except for our children, basically. Uh, but he was a total bad A and uh, defensive stalwart and should have been finals MVP in, in uh, 94. If, if John Starks hadn't gone full John Starks in game, game seven of that series. Uh, but yeah, Derek Harper's my favorite, favorite, uh, favorite player of all time. Who's not, uh, of German descent. So, uh, Derek Harper, number one on my list. So quick note right, one, on Rod yeah. Strickland, 1997, 98, he was all NBA. Uh, yeah. he averaged okay. 20, he averaged 18 points a game and 11 assists a game. He led the league in assists and he also had five <laughs> rebounds a game. Okay. The year that, that so he was, was that 97, 97, 98. Okay. 
1998 Eastern All-Stars uh, guards, starting guards, were Penny Hardaway and Michael Jordan. Okay. Okay. Oh, this is a famous All-Star game. Okay. Yes. And then the backup guards are Reggie Miller and Tim Hardaway. And then the last backup guard was Steve Smith on his first All-Star appearance, who – at the the whole you now given this is the whole season stats not just the first half but the at the end of the season he was averaging twenty four and four so I, yeah. I guess he probably could have been put over Smith but I'm sure that that you know like that could have been an argument so I mean like you're not going to put him in over Miller Hardaway right. Penny or Jordan so that would be probably why he didn't make the you, you know whose spot he takes is Jason Williams. Because Jason Williams is probably the other wild card spot that year. Oh, you're right. Steve yeah, Smith but and, they have him, Jason Williams. They have him listed as yeah. a forward, so that's why. Yeah, but but you get you get a, it's a wild card, right? So the wild cards on that team were probably Steve Smith and Jason Williams. That'd be my guess. Um, yeah, you're or maybe right. Antoine Walker. It doesn't matter. Jason Williams was not an all. That that was stupid in the moment, and it looks even worse now. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. That is. Let's retroactively make Rod Strickland a, a NBA All Star in '98. Um, Jason Williams, you're you're out, man. Sorry. One-time All-Stars. Tobin, I was looking at the list of, of one-time All-Stars. We had, by the way, we had six this year who were first-time All-Stars. Uh, Jalen Brown, Zach Levine, I mentioned Zion previously, Devin Booker, Julius Randle, and Mike Conley, first-time All-Stars this year. Um, there are 138 players in NBA history who had one all-star appearance, which is pretty wild. That's a lot. That's a lot of guys. Maybe the most shocking one on the list to me was Bill Bradley. Bill Bradley only had one all-star appearance, and he's a freaking Hall of Famer, and we act like he's one of the best players from that era. What are we doing here, guys? Um, I was very very surprised by that. Didn't know that at all. Some of, the, some uh, of that, though, could be... Um, are you counting ABA as well? Or he, he didn't play in the ABA. He didn't play in the ABA. Right. He's a yeah. Nick his whole career, yeah. I think. Um, yeah, you're yeah, right. I mean, you know, like Bill Bradley's a good dude, whatever. It's just it, th- that may, maybe Bill Bradley is who I need to hold up now instead of Mitch Richmond. Maybe I should let go of my my Mitch Richmond um, <laughs> animosity based entirely on Jim Jackson in, in 1996 uh, or 90, whatever, 95. Um, but maybe Bill Bradley is the guy we need to say. Bill Bradley's in the Hall of Fame, so freaking everybody gets in the Hall of Fame. I don't know. Like, that's just, come on, man. One All-Star game, really? Uh, I guess Josh Howard's up for the All-Star, or for the Hall of Fame soon. Um, he has one All-Star game, so. I know, as a replacement player, and it ruined his career. Um, this is very mad. We're turning into, we're, we're, we're becoming Simmons with, with the Celtics. I'm sorry. Uh Anyway, okay, give me your list for one favorite one-time NBA All-Star. Okay, so this one, you, so the, the last one you said, we have to make it to where they could actually make the All-Star game, or else it's just going to be really subjective and like Bo Bonds when they call it both of our lists. Sure, uh, sure. This one, I, since there were so many one-times, I chose like my, like the five that I, I loved the most about yeah, it. Yeah, okay? personal favorites. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So same here. To same an here. extent, I, I, I did, I, I did mix a little bit in of, like this person deserved more, maybe. But okay, my number five is um, Mookie Blaylock. Mookie Blaylock, nice. Ninety six, okay. ninety seven. He averaged seventeen points in six assists that year. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. My number four was sure. Oh, I guess my I forgot my honorable mentions. My honorable mentions. That's right. I wrote this down. Were uh, Tyson Chandler and Sam Cassell. Um, the only reason I don't have Tyson higher is because I'm I kind of mad at how he 
did some stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, just like you and we're we're gonna echo statements here in a second. Okay. Yeah. Um, my number four was Sharif Abdur Rahim. Okay, okay. Uh, his best season was the lockout season, uh, which is kind yeah. of bummer. He had six seasons over twenty points per game. I think a lot of people see him as a bust when. Mm-hmm. I don't think he really was. Like I think, like, I don't like think so retroactively, like I look back and I'm like, this dude was actually really good. It just sucked. he just played on awful Grizzly teams for yet forever. You know, yeah, he was on bad teams and he was drafted before Ray Allen and and Kobe Bryant, yeah, and Steve Nash yeah, and fair. a couple of those guys. I mean, that's like the that's a, a maybe the best draft of all time in in 1999 and uh, 2000. He he was averaging 20 and 10 like the year that he yeah. made it. And he was good out the gate too. Yes. He was a really yeah. good player. He averaged twenty four mm. points his second season. Like and so I I think you know again I think because I feel bad for him he gets more he should have more recognition. Okay. Like um, number three because I think he's an unsung hero of most places. I have Charles Oakley. He's my number three one time All Star. Uh, number two okay. is Michael Red. I think Michael Red was incredible for a long time in. Dangerous score for a long time, and unfortunately, injuries kind of seemed to derail the back end of his career. But um, mm-hmm. really liked Michael Red when he was at his peak. Um, but yeah, he was great. And then number one, can I tell you my favorite Michael Red era? Yeah, let's do it. It was after he was injured and he gained about twenty five pounds, and he played for the Suns. And literally, all he did was post up at the block, and I freaking loved it. It was so fun to see. This, it was, I, for whatever, you know, I love post up, so that's part of it. But I loved watching him go to the block and just work guards from the block and with that little lefty turnaround and stuff. It was so much fun to watch him do that. And then he'd hobble to the bench because he could barely walk. But gosh, it was cool to see to see him do that stuff. If, if you, even adding the year that he only played 30 games for the Bucks, like if you add, to put those years together, he averaged 25 points a game. The dude, yeah, the dude was, he was awesome. He man. was a bucket People man. Forget. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I have a number two and there's no doubt for me. My number one is a hundred percent Nick Van Exel because mm-hmm. we, we know, you know how much I love <laughs> Nick Van Exel. Nick Van Exel is a human highlight reel and way, way, way underappreciated. And some of that is to his own doing admittedly, but <laughs> way, way underappreciated. We were just talking about him on the beginning of the episode about like, that was probably one of my favorite Mavericks teams whenever he was playing with them and Nash and Dirk. And I would have loved for that team to win a title because I, I would have loved that so much with Finley and him and gosh, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. would have been so great. But that is my yeah. five. I, okay. I'm sure I, I left like people that. out that I'll be like, Oh crap, I should have put them on there. But like I just that I made this very off the top of my head, just like sure. pick, pick some fl- favorite players type thing. Yeah, for sure. 27 points per game. In the in the playoff series for Michael Red, Michael Red was a bucket man. I I that lefty shooter too, man. Oh, so much fun to watch. I I I dug him. Really like Michael Red a lot. Um, my honorable mentions. I I had Mookie Blaylock in there. I kind of put him in the. I I combined him and Michael Adams and Jameer Nelson as like the little guys that that made <laughs> yeah. one one All Star appearance. Jameer, and, uh, and I always dug. But Mookie Blaylock has the coolest name, so I'll go with him over. Over the other two, uh, Blaylock was was pretty great. Number five for me is Tyson Chandler. Same exact reason. Very, I mean, obviously integral to the Mavs winning in, in 2011 and, and a huge part of, uh, I, I owe him a great deal of gratitude for bringing me joy. Um, but also, 
you know, kind of grumpy about how he left a couple times, especially the second time. Didn't really love that, but uh, yeah. So, a little bit. I I love Tyson. If I ever ran into Tyson Chandler, I would I would just try to hug him because he just he he did so much for us in that one year that he was here. Number four, a guy who's still active but is certainly not making an All Star game at any point in his career. Uh, Andre Iguodala, his his prime is over. But I loved Andre Iguodala. Still do one of one of my favorite players to to watch, but has has uh, has changed his game so many times and evolved in different ways and stuff. But uh, that that year of of Iggy were, and then even like the next year, two years later, when he was in Denver and really running the show. I mean, he was man, he was fun to watch. Number three for me was Anthony Mason, uh, one of the one of my Knicks guys from that era. But he was with the. It was with the Bucks when he made his All Star appearance, but Mace was awesome to watch. Kind of had that point forward, but also like just a runaway train. Also, he was the stencil the haircut board. stuff. Yeah, was great. Anthony Mace was super cool. I can't wait to read Chris Herring's book on yes, on that era 100%. of the Knicks yes. when it comes out. Man, it's that's a that is a day one purchase and read for me. I can't wait. Can't wait. My number one and two, you could guess. They're uh, they're but they were both on your list. I've talked about them ad nauseum off the air on the air. I've written essays about both of them uh, that, again, only you have have read. But uh, number two is Charles Oakley. No one was cooler or tougher than Charles Oakley. Like, that dude, I'm pretty sure... I'm pretty sure you could tie... Right now, at age 50-plus, you could tie both hands behind his back and maybe both legs, and he still could beat the crap out of most people that we know. He would still be able to keep you out of the paint. Like... (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Gosh, I love Charles Oakley. Uh, number two for me. Number one is Nick Van Exel. Same thing. There, Nick Van Exel. Every once in a while, the there'll be like a there's like a two minute highlight reel of Van Exel on on YouTube that makes its way into my timeline, and it is an it is a stop down and watch no matter what. And I've seen it's the same reel. I've seen it over and over and over again, but it's so awesome. That dude. I I really hope. I really hope, and uh, I mean, he's he beyond Sean Kemp, he might be number one on my list of like I hope that that younger generations find and discover Nick Van Exel at some point through YouTube or whatever exists, whatever YouTube becomes in ten years, because it's just that guy was so smooth and so cool with the ball and did like these tremendous things and had the biggest Sam Cassell balls, and I just. Man, I love Nick Van Exel so much, uh, and you know, you're, you 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 kind of hit the nail on the head. It's some of his some of his uh, issues were are of his own doing, and some were kind of hoisted upon him. He had a really weird, terrible upbringing in a lot of ways. Anyway, I'm, I'm getting off track, but man, I love Nick Van Exel, and uh, he was so so much fun to watch. And when he was the sixth man for that Mavs team, oh, he was the greatest man. He was the second forty points off the bench in a playoff game. He was the game, second you're leading like, scorer you're not that year. Him. He's the second leading yeah. scorer of the year that we were that we right. made it to the conference finals. Like that's that's unheard of with a team like that. You know, love it. I love it. All right, well, we had the same number one. It's good. All right, let's move on. Let's do some. Few, we were going to do this last week. I guess we could stop. Let's now push and it a push week. Let's <laughs> push it another let's week. Not. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Just make this a four-hour episode. Whatever. Whatever. Okay. We can do it quick though. We don't have to. We don't have to. Yeah, yeah, know. yeah. Let's do some funerals. Um. We we started this last year. We'll we'll do a we'll do a few, when we believe that a team is out of it, they're not going to make the playoffs. We'll sit here. We'll do a funeral. We'll do a post mortem. We'll talk about 
what's going on, what they can do moving forward, what options they have, et cetera, et cetera. We'll, we'll do this quick. Let's knock out a few of these that are it's it's the midway point of the season. Tobin, I have I have four teams that are a hundred percent dead and three teams that I think are ninety plus percent dead. And I'll run through those. If you have any you agree you disagree with or whatever, let me know. The the dead dead is Detroit, Minnesota, Houston. Who you texted me today was like Houston lost thirteen in I a row before the break. Legitimately like, did not bad, know that. Bad. Like I did not realize they were falling as hard as they were. I knew they weren't playing good, <laughs> and I knew yeah. that Christian Wood has been hurt. But they've lost thirteen yeah. in a row since he's been out. I, I I legit forgot or didn't realize that. So yeah, not good. So I have Detroit, Minnesota, Houston, and Cleveland. You have any? Any pushback on any of those? You think there's any chance that any of those teams are no. making the playoffs? No. The only thing I think that I want to see out of those is I want to see Cleveland just run sex land and have fun. Like that's that's it. <laughs> like the other three teams are a lost cause, but at least Cleveland can be fun when lose. So sex land was a fun couple of weeks, and um, I'm saying keep it going. Take that like as you will. Sorry, <laughs> I almost made the worst <laughs> joke of of my spread the floor career. Um. But like it's not good. Like it's not a good. Now they're in, good now they're in the post two years of marriage part of sex land. <laughs> <laughs> the honeymoon phase is over, if you will, so to speak, um, as it were. Uh, okay, M- maybe the only interesting thing to me in all of those four teams is how much can can Houston shed with. With their roster, I mean, Depot's gone, right? Like they're gonna trade Oladipo, and surely they're gonna tr- they're gonna find a home for PJ Tucker as well. And can they get off of Eric Gordon? You know, I I don't I mean I don't know I don't know. We were we were throwing ideas back and forth at each other today, and we're like, all three of them? Could I could I figure out a way to take all three? Would I do that? I, it's it's a tough. I don't know. I'm interested in that, I guess. And then just like. I'm very interested in what happens with with Cat and Minnesota and like is there anything is there any writing of the ship over the next couple of months or is it just like a a steady descent into the depths of of lottery hell I I don't know They have to hope that sure. like they can maybe dump D'Angelo for something and then pray that that lotto ball goes their <laughs> way because if it does not go their way and they don't get Cade Cunningham yeah. It could be really bad. Now that said, G- Giovanni Giovanni said today that this is probably the most stacked top five he's seen in a long time. So that, I mean, they're they're going to be mm. in a good spot probably regardless. But it's going to be if real interesting yeah. if they don't get a top three because then it goes to the Warriors and that'll be Gosh. that'll be bad. Like, yeah, I just mm. I don't know. I don't think they're going to sell anybody, but like that's that team is so awful. They're so bad. Well, the thing is, they don't have anybody to sell. Like it's if they have to get they have to dump contracts like that's yeah yeah I mean there's nobody nobody's trading for D'Angelo Russell as an asset no and you'd have to you'd have to package Culver with it which I, I love well they I, I think you can have Culver for free right now I think they're done with with Culver um it's not going well it's not going well there I know that bums me out bums me out as well but it's not going well they they're in a they're in a bad 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 place with uh with D'Angelo Russell that was a that was a bad move. It was like an all-timer bad trade at this point. Uh, okay. Here's my three that are like, I'm 90 plus percent sure they're dead. Um, Orlando, 
Sacramento and OKC. Do you have any pushback on any of those three teams? No, I think that that I would already put them in the dead column. The only thing about OKC is they technically are still somewhat in it, but we know that that team is not capable of putting together a run. So it's, I mean, like they've already played better than I would have. They, they've already probably won more games than I probably would have guessed that they would win. So. Yeah, I, I for sure think, I think they are much, I, I, if I, again, if I was them, you know, you're calling around and trying to get Horford out of there. You're trying to do anything you can to get, to get worse fast. Um, because they've, you, you're right. Like they've been much better than we would have thought that they were coming in, but they are absolutely not going to try to make the playoffs. It's just that they're sort of still hovering right under the range of what I would say is like dead, dead or right over the range. I should say Orlando. I just, I have there just because it's like they, they haven't had any of their guys. So if they get some guys back and they're in the East, they're only what, like three and a half games out of the, the play in spot. And Orlando is a team that is perpetually horny for the eighth seed. You know, it's, it's not inconceivable that, I mean, they're, they're trying to get a, apparently a King's ransom for Vucevic and many of their other players, you know, anyway, that's and Sacramento is stupid. Sacramento is done and they don't they don't seem to know it yet. And that is like a you know, how many times has Sacramento been in that position? Yep. Okay. I got three more that I would say are half dead, maybe more than half dead. I don't know. Let's see where you stand on New Orleans, Washington, and Atlanta. Uh you re- are you willing to to conduct funerals for any of those? I am willing or all of to con- like to conduct it for New Orleans and Washington. I think Atlanta has enough offensive pieces to possibly make the play in tournament. I think in a normal year, yes, you could count them out, but I think that considering they're only a half game back of the play in game thing, I think I would probably consider them a possibility to possibly make the eight seed if they get lucky, you know, mm-hmm. but only because they can, they can get buckets, you know, if they're all clicking. Um, and they haven't really had a chance to get going now with McMillan. So maybe McMillan with the, with the break was able to kind of get them refocused so that's the only team I might not okay. c- count out yet. But, I mean, they're sure. not going to win anything, but they might make a playoffs. But who knows? I think I'm with you. I'm <sighs> – New Orleans is such a confounding team because it, it felt like they had figured something out. Like, hey, maybe if we give the ball to this human bowling ball who literally no one can stop because he just – he is the most – strange human of all time it's impossible to stop it like he 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 shoots like 80 percent at the rim maybe if we just give him the ball 50 feet from the basket and let him get ahead of steam like maybe that'll result in something um they seem like they've kind of figured that out but then you look at it's like they still have lost four or or excuse me they're, they're still only four and six in their last 10 before the break and they're to me with new orleans more than anything it's that they're only two and a half back of the play in spot but who are they better than that's, you know, that's ahead of them? It, it, San Antonio, Dallas, Memphis, Golden State, they're not better than any of those teams. And they're not catching yeah. them either, unless Golden State yeah. goes on a, on a bad run. That's the thing. It's like you, you kind of, if, if you're the Pelicans and you're, if you're still holding stock for the Pelicans for this season, you're buying that the Warriors' last 10 games is more indicative of what they're going to be for the remainder of the season and that 
the Spurs are going to trade DeRozan and go into tank mode. You or know? the Grizzlies. Because that keep, will put them or in. Or Jaw team. keeps being awful for the Grizzlies. I mean, that's like the only. Yeah, but Jaw's been great the yeah. last like two weeks. Yep. So, I mean, Jaw like really has found it yep. um, over the last couple of weeks. So, I, yeah, I, I, I'm I not willing to. I'm not yet willing to say dead, but it's real close. It's real close to me. Washington is kind of the same. It's like, it's not that I believe in the in the wizards whatsoever it's that the east stinks and they're currently two games out of the play-in spot and i have no idea what some of these teams are going to do i think the knicks are going to regress i think the raptors might trade lowry and who knows what happens with them after that i the pacers have been so inept this year it's weird to see how mediocre they've been or worse maybe don't the, trade your coach who was doing things Doing good things. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just there's it's it's strange. So it's yeah, strange. The, I don't the, I don't trust the Hawks. I don't trust the Bulls. It's like the 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 Wizards still have Beal and and Westbrook and some of these guys we kind of like. So it's like and it's and it's weird they, too because like you like your next tier has like Golden State, you know, Memphis and all yeah. that. Like here's the thing: like Golden State is not going to go anywhere. Like, but they're not going to drop out of ten. So like, if I am in the Western Conference, I don't. The last thing I want is to play a do or die game with Steph Curry. So like, mm-hmm. you can't call them dead because they could very easily come in as a ten seed and and like if, yeah. if the playoffs from today, they'd be playing the Spurs in the seven ten game. And there's there's no doubt in my mind that they would probably beat the Spurs. You know, yeah. and then you have Maver- the winner of Mavericks Grizzlies. And if I'm a Ma- as a Mavericks fan, if I'm playing the Warriors in a do or die game, I am terrified. Like even even yeah. with Luca in a team that seems to be coming together, like mm-hmm. like I am terrified yeah. of that. And so you can't this year you can't count them out. You know for that kind of stuff. The same thing with Memphis mm-hmm. and probably even Chicago for that matter. So yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, Atlanta is, to me is like on the plus side. They just got a better coach. They're getting bogey back in the next uh, next few days. It seems like and they're not getting Hunter back. It sounds like Hunter's out for like another month. They, I think they have a better chance of the of a team like the Raptors falling to them, or maybe or even or even more yeah. easily the Pacers. But if the Raptors do trade Lowry, you know, and shut down Siakam, like that that could be right. what opens the door for them. Yeah, yeah. The biggest thing to me with Atlanta is beyond like I don't really love the roster construction. It's that they have a nine game 16 day road trip coming up like a western trip and it sucks to be on the road right now like it's just it's absolutely brutal and i was listening to a pod today i think it was i think it was wendy's pod was talking about how silver and the nba have got to start communicating how players like the freedoms that players are going to have once they are vaccinated because they're i don't want to get into the vaccination conversation you know because it's it's a big deal right now uh within the league and and how many players and whatnot are are up for it at this point and stuff but they've got to do a a better job of of communicating like the return to semi-normalcy for some of these guys once they are fully vaccinated when they get on the road because right now you're literally just stuck in your hotel room. You are locked into a hotel room with the exception of practices and games, basically. Like, you're eating in your room. You're not allowed to do team dinners. Some of these, uh, again, this is the Wendy podcast today, was like in L.A., the like the workout facility is outside. Like, they don't even have a gym to work in and stuff. Like, it sucks to be on the road in the NBA right now. And 
for a team like the Hawks that's that's underachieving and there's a lot of discontent there and stuff like that, for them to go on a 16-day road trip like that, that's the type of thing that you look at in normal years and you say, hey, this is the opportunity for us to come together and grow as a team and come back stronger and do the, you know, our version of the Spurs rodeo trip, you know. But in 2021, you look at that and you say, ooh, guys, that might be the worst 16 days of your lives. <laughs> like, this might go real, real bad. So, I don't know. I, I, I will obviously we'll see with them, but I, I think they're, I'm certainly not really ready to, uh, to declare them dead yet, but they have a tough, a tough road ahead of them, um, in, in the next couple of weeks. And then, uh, not dead, Indiana, Chicago, Memphis, Golden State. Those are the teams that are currently in the, the nine, 10 spots in both conferences. Obviously we're not willing to, to do funerals for them at this point. Do you feel like, you kind of touched on this, but I'll, I'll let you have a chance to to really go on it if if you want to. Do you feel like any or all? I, which of those four teams do you think is is most likely to jump jump the nine ten spot and actually get into the seven or eight seed? Probably Chicago because they have a prolific scorer on the team that, mm-hmm. and, and they they've had they've had a rough like they had a rough start and then they kind of started figuring it out. And I feel like they're on the uptick. Uh, I mean, I, I know their their record doesn't necessarily show that, but I feel like they are playing better than they did at the beginning of the year, which is a plus on their side. And mm-hmm. plus, it's Eastern Conference. So, I mean, right now, they are literally half a game back of the seventh seed right now in their 200 yeah. 500. So, I mean, they're only, what is it? Uh, they're only two games back at the four seed. And so. <laughs> Right. Like, you know, like, you know, logic would tell you that Golden State or Memphis probably would be that team, but they have a lot more to jump over. Whereas Chicago has very capable players on their team and has a coach that knows how to coach in these kind of moments. And, mm-hmm. and like even with Oklahoma City last year, kind of did this stuff. And so if he kind of captures some of that energy, then they, they to me make the most sense to make a jump even to like maybe the five or six seed. If, sure. if you know, because like here's the other thing. I I know NBA world is freaking out about the Knicks being over 500 right now, but like, are we really thinking that they're going to keep this up? I mean, they may. No, Who knows? They, they may. But also, we've seen Thibodeau teams come out hot because they get going, and then they get completely run through the gutter because they are they are worn out because he doesn't sub players, and so um, that's another thing that works in their favor. So I think Chicago, mm-hmm. out of those four teams, makes the most sense to jump up. Okay. I think that's fair. Um, maybe the better question is San Antonio and San Antonio currently is the seven seed. They lost to Dallas tonight. They're eighteen and fifteen. Dallas is oh, ten is tied with them basically, but still, they they currently by by mathematical points they stay in the seven seed. And Toronto is the eight seed in in the East at seventeen and nineteen. Which of those teams do you think is most likely to drop out of that actual playoff spot and and then uh, you know in theory open something up for a Warriors or a Bulls or a you know a Pacers I guess I don't know if you got to bet on one to drop out who who's the who are you picking I think for the same kind of the same reasons I just said I think if you if you were to make me bet on it I would bet on the Spurs dropping out for the same reasons that it's the Western Conference right. and. Yeah. They've they have now as of tonight said that they are getting rid of one of their two star starters, and I would not be surprised if DeRozan is on the list because I think DeRozan is going to get interest and mm-hmm. uh, I think there's a market for DeRozan, yes, and I think that it's more yeah. than just a buyout slash second round pick too. So 
Yeah. Um, that that I think if they get rid of both of theirs, and you're you're basically running, you know, Jacob Podol and Dejounte Murray out there every day yeah. for your one-two punch. And so mm-hmm. um, the the Raptors have a a system around them where they can be good, and they have Nurse coaching on top of all that. Even if they do trade Lowry, they still have pieces that can make them successful. Um, you know, I guess quasi successful, but also again. Like it's a lot easier to stay in the eight seed when you're on the Eastern Conference yeah. than it is on the Western okay. Conference. I think it's good. It's good. Uh, good thoughts. We'll see. We'll touch back. We'll, we'll come back into this when we when we're ready to do funerals for some of these other teams. We'll uh, we'll go with it. But yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. I just think it's easier for the even if the the Raptors traded Lowry, assuming they get like some like some competent player to take his spot. In that trade, and then you know, assume a player and a, and a young player or a pick and or something, whatever. It doesn't matter. Malachi Flynn, man. Put Malachi yeah. Flynn in there. I want to see him play. Yeah. Hey, man. Talk about <laughs> a short backcourt. You put him and him and <laughs> Van Vliet together. It's like, man, is this the only backcourt in the league that the starting guards are under six, feet. under twelve feet together? That's <laughs> 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 tough. What if they get on to, on each other's shoulders like uh, Vincent Adult Man? Um, we'll see. We'll see how that. I mean, I'd watch it. I'd watch it. We'll see how that plays out. I just think the Raptors have an easier path. Just, like you said, they're, it's the East. So they could potentially trade Lowry and still be like, yeah, we're okay. I mean, we're still kind of in this. So the Spurs, if the Spurs traded to Rosen, I think they they fall back pretty pretty quickly. And maybe even that, that opens up the door for uh, for the for, for the Pelicans as well. So I don't know. Real fast, dude. Your one, two, three MVP. We need to do a check in on this like every couple of weeks or so. What's your one, two, three uh, MVP ballot right now? My one, two, three. I'll give you mine if you if you need it. Th- no, I know it's it's a. Uh, I'm gonna stick with Embiid at one. I'm gonna put LeBron at two and Jokic at three. That's my one, okay. two, three. Uh, I'm going Embiid one, LeBron two, Giannis three, Jokic. You know this team's the sixth seed. Let's uh, let's get that up a little bit. Let's let's bump a little, and the Bucks have looked really good lately. So now they have Holiday back. We'll we'll actually start to see what that team is. I you know do I trust them in the playoffs? Absolutely not. But Giannis's stats are unbelievable. Giannis is getting to is is kind of getting to the point this year where I think it's it's there is a zero percent chance he wins the MVP. There is a very high percent chance that he is not even in the top three of the MVP vote when it's all said and done because there, there's just so many guys that are not going to vote for him. Uh, because of the way things have flamed out for the last two years. And he's going to have better stats this year than he has had in either of the previous two years. Like, it's ridiculous what he's what he's doing every night. Um, but, it, you know, it's a it's a team success award in a weird way. So, uh, and it's, you know, there's so much that's based on narratives and all this sort of stuff, but everybody knows this. It is what it is. Okay, we'll check in in a couple of weeks on that. I, LeBron is, has dropped off my top spot because the Lakers have not been that great, and he's looked... Uh, He's looked he, uh, human in, in times without without AD. So it, that is a symbiotic relationship. They 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 need each other uh, to to really obviously to succeed. And also, there's got to be a measure of a. They're tired because they were playing games like two months ago that were high stakes and really mattered. And and a little bit of we all know that that LeBron and LeBron teams you know, turn off the lights, turn them back on whenever they, they really feel it. So I, I mean, I think they really are going through it right now because they don't have Davis and because they miss Schroeder for a little bit as well. And th- there's not a ton of depth on that team. So that, I think there's some realness to that, but I do expect they'll flip the lights on when it, when it matters, but uh, we'll see. 
We'll see. All right, man. This has been fun. Uh, thank you for being here, listeners. Thank you for putting up with our nonsense and shenanigans. We greatly appreciate it. If you like what you heard, tell a friend. Bring your basketball buddies around to listen to this podcast. Uh, it helps us greatly to carve out some space in this very cramped podcast market. And leave us a five-star rating and five-star review on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We will potentially be back next week. It's uh, Tobin's going to be on vacation. I'm potentially going to be on vacation next week. It's spring break for us. Whatever vacation looks like in, in pandemic land, I don't really know. But we may not be back next week. We'll just kind of have to see you play by ear. Uh, but we'll be back the week after that, if nothing else. Talking about more hot basketball stuff and giving you fresh takes that you certainly have not heard on every other NBA podcast that you've listened to this year. or this. Uh, what week. other NBA Thank you for podcast? Being <laughs> that's right that's right we're the only one probably i think all right thanks for being here thanks for listening we'll be back soon until then stay hard ronnie rogers <laughs>